Welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business Podcast, where we explore the game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance and well-being in the workplace. If you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business, if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber, and if you want to be part of a revolution in human potential, then join us to discover the powerful resource that lives before our psychology. Welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. This episode is all about a book that um, I've been waiting for someone to write. It could have been me, but I'm very glad it wasn't because I think it's been done better uh, with our a very own regular guest on the show, Katrin, who has today, uh, and for those listening in the future, it is the 21st of August 2023, has published her second book, uh, really the first book to be explained later. And um, I wanted to get on and do a podcast episode with her straight away so she can tell us all about it. Um, and so you, the listener, can order one and read it, digest it, and see what you think. So, Katrin, welcome back to the show. Thank you. <laughs> What's it like on book publish day, by the way? I don't think I've ever spoken to someone on the very day their book's been published. So how is it today? Uh, it's, it's weird and it's a mix of excitement because I'm glad it's finally out there. And at the same time, I'm worrying about these really stupid, you know, the simple things like, did I miss a comma or it was edited and proofread, but what did they miss? And do the visuals work and all this stuff? Because I haven't actually seen the paperback copy. So it's only available as paperback. And I got a, a, a printing proof from Amazon. So I've seen that, but I don't actually know what the final thing looks like. So it's scary. Right. And people can get it on uh, the Kindle version of Amazon, or they can obviously wait a couple of days and get it delivered. Is that right? No, it's it's actually not an ebook this time. So oh, it's, it's not an ebook. Right. Yeah. So actually, you need to hold this thing in your hands and turn pieces of paper. And was there a reason behind that? Yes, there was because, first of all, I'm not happy with, with the whole Kindle ebook experience, but that's, that's a minor thing. The other thing is that this has a lot of visuals and it is really dense. So it has a lot of information on, and each page has its own, it's kind of a standalone concept. That's the idea right. behind it. Yes. And um, along with that, it works on a two page basis. So it's actually built around the paperback version. You're supposed to look at it on two pages next to each other. That's how I created it. So well, yeah. that's an interesting point because I've obviously seen it only on a PDF. Um, and I did think it was very nicely laid out, but I, I can see what you're saying now from what I've seen. It would make sense for to increase the experience. So, well, we learned the first thing without even meaning to there by me asking a, an ignorant question. Um, isn't that good? So, well, let's get into the first question. How come you wrote this book? Yeah, well, I have no real answer to that, except that it just happened. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. But why do I think it happened is because I talked to many different people over the past two years about selflessness, right? Which is what I do and what I'm about, there is no separate self. And how do we see that? Many content, much content that we have created together around that. And I've come to the conclusion that there are kind of two phases in this. So the first phase, now let me start with the second phase. The second phase is my first book. The second phase is how do I actually see in direct experience that there is no separate self? and then apply to leadership that is selfless leadership. That's the book that's out there, was already out there. 
But there's a phase that comes before that for many people, and that is, I have no idea what you're talking about. This, this rings a bell. There's something interesting about this. It's fascinating, no separate self, but I have no, I mean, it doesn't even compute. And I'm skeptical because how can you possibly say there is no separate self? There, of course, there's a self. I am a self. What are you talking about? And for those people, I wrote this book because it is clear not only from the direct seeing side, but from the cognitive science, philosophical, ancient wisdom tradition side that there, that the separate self is a mental construct. It's an illusion. And that's what this book is all about. Actually, I divided it up into six distinct illusions because that just helps us deal with it. And these six separate illusions can be understood. And when you understand them, which I hope what the book does, is the idea is this will open your mind to actually considering the fact that the separate self is an illusion and okay, now I'm ready to maybe look at that indirect experience. Yeah, and I think that's a really good thing to set the scene because after you've read this book, it may be people want to see it in leadership. It may be they want to see it in a completely different other aspect of their life or work. So the leadership book that you wrote first, it's been out for a couple of years, was all about how to see this in leadership. Uh, which might be something that's valuable for people. So this book actually has a much wider appeal um, and will obviously, well, in my view, increase the power of the second book as well. Sorry, the first book, which we're now calling the second book, um, <laughs> as well as open the door to many other aspects. And I, I love the fact that, you know, and you and I on other podcasts have talked about, well, you don't really write books that have sort of come through you. And the fact that it's sort of come through backwards is just a lovely feature of the system because for whatever reason, if you tried to write this book two years ago, it would nowhere be the book it is now, is, is my guess. Um, so just like Star Wars saga have done it and all sorts of major movie franchises have done it, you can do it the wrong way around, that's fine. Um, so now, so let's, let's imagine there's a couple of audiences that could be interested in this. People who are already interested in this area, maybe they listen to a bit of quality of mind, maybe they've seen some of your stuff, they might want to know what the book brings to them. Uh, or people who are, who are just sort of a little bit curious but don't really know what any of this is yet uh, as an audience, but they stumbled across this po podcast or maybe someone's told them about it. Um, how would you describe the book to each of those audiences? So this one is really around this concept of the separate self and proving, proving in, in quotation marks, yeah. <laughs> um, that this separate self that we all believe in, that our whole society is built around, is a mental construct, is a cognitive construct, but also pointing to the consequences of that. So. It's really, I called it in, um, the, the subtitle is exploring the six illusions, and it's really about an exploration. So it's not trying to convince you of anything. It's not saying, okay, look, here's your old belief system, and this is the new one. Just, you know, read this and then believe. It's actually more of a, these are the findings, for example, from Anil Seth, neuroscientists. These are the findings from biology, evolution. Um, these are the findings from recent ontologies, philosophical theories about 
what is the essence of life, um, the essence of existence. And all of these together, it's like puzzle pieces. So there's six sub puzzles. And together, if you have all these different pieces from these different authors, whose books I read and whose information I tried to deal with myself, which was actually quite difficult in some cases, these are puzzle pieces that come together to give you an overview of, oh, wow, okay, maybe it's not what I now believe. You know, maybe that is just what I've been told, what we all believe, what, what's what, um, the cultural construct. Here's an alternative. And it's really in that sense, here's an offer, an invitation to an alternative. Do with it what you want, <laughs> whatever happens. I'm, you know, no one's in control of that. It's not a, it's not a, a convincing um, plea for something new, but a, um, yeah, um, going through the evidence, going through indicators. Yeah, and, and I think what it does, just from my perspective, is for those people who are already familiar with this direction, it brings in a, a, a wonderful sense of succinctness and clarity, which, which you always do in everything, but, but particularly so. Um, and it also probably equips people who have had a, an intuitive, a spiritual, a, a sensing of this. It now gives a really up-to-date, and it possibly might be out there in a few years' time, of course, <laughs> view on where the, the pioneering scientists are on this. So I think it really updates that side of things uh, in a really distilled, succinct way and shows where science is definitely pointing to this and accidentally pointing to this. And I might go into more of that later um, from what I see. So it brings that. So, so for the, someone who's already been inquiring in this perspective for a while, maybe through spiritual methods, this brings some logic and science into it. To people who kind of are just playing on the edges of this, but they've always, whenever they've got anywhere near here, they've thought this direction of, oh, there's something more than just me, that kind of, is too esoteric and woo-woo. It brings some really uh, great, not only direct experience logic to it, which is one part of the book, but also all the kind of ways that what we might call more evidence-based science is pointing to it directly or indirectly. So it's probably a great door in to something that people first originally may have thought was too woo-woo fluffy or um, based on lots of kind of hand waves and wishes rather than anything concrete. So I think for both the more experienced uh, person looking exploring this area and for someone totally brand new it's going to be very useful now you've set the book out in sort of two sections ish almost you've got the six illusions um and you go through the puzzle pieces of the six illusions commentating on and narrating and pointing to what some of the scientists have said um, and then you go into more of a how can we see this through direct experience um now i think there's something really interesting here isn't there because in a way and this is what i would say to my clients is there's three ways we might start to see this understanding one is through the traditional spiritual channels you've got a you know and you've been a seeker and you've seen a sort of some mystical esoteric pointing to this and you may have got a sense of it there's what science might say and then there's what you can see through direct experience now, can you just talk about those three or at least the two that you've commented on your book and the power of needing at least 
well, more than one of those, <laughs> probably all both of them, in order to see anything meaningful about this? Yeah, so from my own experience and from many of the people I've worked with, the mind needs something to understand this in order to get out of the way. That's how I always phrase it, because we feel we feel lost, right? As I said before, with this information, what you mean there's no separate self? That doesn't compute. Okay, here's some fodder. <laughs> here's some evidence and some indicators that might help you compute so that it gets out of the way, which is um, six seventh of the book, right? Six chapters are mm. about six illusions. And then the final chapter is about, yes, but this is not going to do anything for you. It's not going to change your life until you see this indirect experience. And that means the mind actually knows things or pretends to know things, but it doesn't see, it doesn't actually have access to direct experience. It's old uh, regurgitated learned content, but the actual seeing of it is in, is getting the mind out of the way, not having any of these beliefs, including the first six chapters, but looking directly, oh, okay, if I can experience reality without all these things I believe about a separate self, I can actually know directly that there is that there is no separate self. I um, I do have to say that chapter seven is a is an introduction. Yeah. Because you know this this book is really focused on the understanding part, but I did want to include. Okay, so I've you know, I, I feel this. I've understood it. I'm I'm partly convinced now. What do I do? And that part is chapter seven. That is the self inquiry, or what some people call inquiry. And that's from the, it's more a contemplative, you know, direct exploration. And it would take much more than just a couple of pages I dedicate to it because I feel that's its own book, that's its mm. own course um, as we have, or that, you know, that's other material. And the other problem is that Self-inquiry goes beyond the mind, right? We're not, mm. we're not, we're pointing to something that is a, a direct experiencing. And the more we talk about it, the more language we use, actually the more confusing it gets. So to do it justice, I'm still on the, on the fence of whether that's a book or not. It's mm. even supposed to be in a book or whether that's something, yeah, a different type of material. Yes. And, and the first six chapters are perfect fodder for a book. Um, because they are meant to be read in that way. But I think it's so important that you've included chapter seven, even though it's just an intro, because almost the <laughs> the taste of the mango, if we can go to our, our one of our favorite metaphors, comes from what point chapter seven is pointing to. Even if it's only an introduction, you, know, you and I have done other podcasts about it, we've done an e-course on it together, um, but I think it's so important that people wouldn't just stop after chapter six, even though it's a fascinating read, because hopefully by the end of chapter six, you're like, oh, wow, there's something in this. This is, this is yeah, I'm really starting to get an idea that I may have been hoodwinked by my psychology. And now I want to go and taste and, and, and really experience that. And that's what chapter seven points to. And then you, you do point to some resources of how people can do more of that. But I, so although it's only one seventh of the book, it's probably a really important bit, bit to understand. Um, but hopefully by reading the first six chapters, people will be much more ready for it. Because sometimes when we drop people straight into direct inquiry, 
they have a lovely experience. And then afterwards, the mind's got like a thousand questions. <laughs> and we're like, well, go back to the lovely bit you had before the questions. And the mind's just like, whoosh. So this sort of inoculates, or as you said, um, makes the ground fertile for what they might experience. Um, and some people have more intellectual curiosity to this than others. Some people don't care. Um, but most of us do, particularly in the Western world, because of how we've been educated. So, so, that, so that's how the book is structured, really, isn't it? You know, it's all about the understanding piece, but then it introduces or points you to, invites you to actually have an experience of it. Yes, and that's why this is for the, I'd say almost the non-spiritual path, because this is, this is an extreme, but you could say that most of the spiritual seekers, they come from the suffering side. You know, I'm, I'm, I feel horrible. I want to know what's wrong with me. I want to get out of this. I'm, I'm just, this mm. is not the truth, but it's, it's one way of looking at it. They come into the, okay, I want the, I want the spiritual solution. I, I want, um, I want to know, um, how to get rid of this, how to stop the seeking for, for the end of suffering. But there's also the type of person who comes from a deep desire to know the truth. And it doesn't even have to be accompanied by any real suffering or, or there's nothing really wrong, but there's just, this is not what I see and experience. You know, it's sort of like, this is like the matrix. I have this, I have this feeling or this sense, this intuition that it's not really what it seems. And those are the people who are going to love this book. Mm. And then, cause they almost get that intuitive sense validated because the mind likes validating things through what some science is saying um and that's like oh wow yeah i knew i was under something so yeah that's great now getting a little bit more into what science is saying and maybe this is a uh, don't go too nerdy on this but it might be a nice sort of warm-up for the book um because what i think is fascinating about what science is pointing to now is and, and you make this really clear in the book and it's really nicely delineated. There are some scientists who are what we would call idealists who, who see the primacy of con consciousness. Um, and there are some who are still materialists who would say that material world of atoms and molecules is, is primary, but are, are, are really almost, and I don't know if accidentally is the right word, but they are really pointing to, to <laughs> what, what the consciousness first people are pointing, but they haven't quite jumped over the last hurdle um, and I think you make a really nice distinction of that. And that's why I guess you've included them in the book to show where science is pointing, even whether science realizes what it's pointing to. C can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, it has many aspects. So maybe one of the, the clearest ones is how we perceive so that the neuroscientists, the materialists now, right, who say there's a, there's a physical world out there, there's material stuff. They're coming to the conclusion, well, we don't see that stuff. We hallucinate it. <laughs> so we don't know what's out there. The only thing we see is, is the matrix. So we, we, um, hallucinate, um, a glass on, on my desk, right. And, and this glass on my desk filled with water, this is a hallucination by my brain, um, depicting a glass so that I can survive. And, um, it's an evolutionary construct. The interesting thing is that the idealists, the modern idealists, take the same information and say, so it's the exact same science, the exact same conclusion and say, well, that's because what you see is actually real. 
But what you're seeing, the glass on your desk, is not matter, but vibrations of consciousness that to our senses look like a glass. Yeah. So it's the exact same information, which is new to many of us, because the normal, the default cultural assumption is not materialism or idealism, it's dualism and naive realism, where we assume that even though we know, okay, our senses are a bit faulty and maybe we don't see the whole visual spectrum, blah, blah, blah. But we assume in our culture that the glass on my desk is a real glass and I see the glass. Um, so we actually have three things, right? Three ontologies, naive realism or dualism, which is what we all learn in school mm -hmm. and what our parents tell us and, and um, which seems to work, right? You jump off a building, you die, gravity and such. <laughs> And the materialists are, and, and the idealists are not saying that's not true. The laws and, and um, the, the effects of, of what we call physical um, laws and matter apply, but they're not what they seem. So this is where the illusion thing comes in. They're not what they seem because they are, sim they are filtered through our perceptual our senses and, and what they do to us. Only the explanation of this, right? What is it that you are then seeing is different for materialists and idealists. And neither of these theories is proven. So mm. they're both theories. Naive realism is also a theory. It's also never been proven. Yes. Now, and it, it, it's, there's two questions, but let's, let's do the practical one first, because this is a question I get asked often by my clients is, does it matter? right? Does it matter whether I kind of, I'm in the kind of, oh, I hallucinate my, my reality, blah, 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 or whether I understand, whether I recognize, realize the consciousness first idealism, does that make any real difference? Or is it just some kind of philosophical conversation to have over a coffee or down the pub or something? This is where it gets really exciting because I think, no, it doesn't matter at all. You shouldn't care until it's about the separate self. Because right. when you talk about materialism or idealism, and then this, does the separate self exist, then it, it becomes super important. Because if idealism is right, and, and materialism as well, lots of it, there is no separate self. And that definitely has consequences. Because that means, taken uh, to its natural conclusion, that I am not a separate real entity in this, whatever it is, whether it's a hallucination or, or consciousness, even that doesn't matter, but there is no separate self. And we need to define self. I do that in the beginning of the book mm. because we use these words in, in, in weird ways, but the entity that I think is I or me is another hallucination of the brain. That would be the materialist or the, or the idealist saying that's just another vibration in consciousness that I mistakenly assume is me. Now, if we know that is not true, right? If we can understand that two things, first, we may become interested in actually knowing that indirect experience. And the other thing is even just understanding it may lead us to stop putting so much judgment and separation and conflict between these apparent separate selves that don't really exist. Yeah. And I think that's where the rubber hits the road, you know, which is the area that we, you know, you talk about your clients, I talk about mine in, in you know, quality of mind is, 
because it's all about having a more peace, performance, and potential in the world, um, more freedom, psychological freedom, and less suffering on the inside and more collective harmony on the outside, you could call it. And the biggest thing that seems to fuel the lack of that <laughs> is this innocent, invisible understanding or misunderstanding that we are a separate entity trying to do the world that can choose, that can do, that can be, and it's separate. And when we realize, oh, no, we're just part of it. Nature lives us, we're being lived, all those phrases that, you know, we use. Um, that brings so much freedom, well-being, resourcefulness, uh, harmony, um, creativity, resilience to us. So that's where this, what might seem scientific or philosophical or theological difference uh, actually makes a difference, you know, because because I think you're right. So it doesn't matter at one level, except for how we treat the self. Yes, and I don't actually go into that a lot in the book. The book is sort of like, here's, you know, it's, it's like a buffet. Here's, here's, here's what I have to present and you come to your own conclusions. And there's a little bit of what that may mean for society or for yeah. you, the sense of what you may discover. But I want people, I mean, I'm as a person, you know, as a, as a constructed character, conditioned character, I'm very sensitive to moralism and preaching mm. and telling people how to think. So that's why I, for, for me, very much this book as the other book is, is an invitation. It's, you know, if you're interested in this, read it. I hope it sparks something. I hope it opens something. But if not, that's fine. You know, just then don't review it on Amazon. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I, and the book is really, I mean, it's, there's no prescription. You should do this. You should think this at all. It's a perfect exploration, invitation to exploration. But obviously you do try and make it relevant. So whereas I'm, I'm with you, I don't think it's ever about prescribing or saying, hey, you should do this or this. But you do want to invite people to look because I know for me in my 20 years of stumbling around this in the dark, um, if I hadn't had people invite me to look at things, I probably would have stayed numb. I, I don't know. Who, who knows? I'm making that up, of course. So it, it's getting the balance between not trying to prescribe and say, hey, this is right, and still inviting people to have a look um, at something from a different way. And, and that's what the book does. It invites you to have a look from a different way. And you find, as you do, you find more and more compelling <laughs> uh, rationale science and then the direct experience bit finishes it all off if that needs to happen um so in a way what might seem quite a technical book although it's actually very accessible and easy to read could have huge implications for a person and the world we live in yes and it it, it did for me and for many people i speak with and i think you have that experience as well yeah. And, and that's why it was written, right? Mm. That's why it came out. And that's why I, I, I didn't just summarize the science or summarize these experts because it's philosophy as well and, and Buddhism, actually, um, Buddhist scholars. I didn't just say, you know, this is what they're saying. Um, I did chop it up into these six yeah. illusions and frame it in a way that look, this is this gets really exciting and really interesting when they point to 
no separate self. Even though they may in their own books and in their own material, they don't even go that far. Some of them. Yes. But yes, that's true. I, I, <laughs> I just a thought just occurred to me. I wonder what the, what they think when they read how you've taken what they say. Um, I know a few of them won't mind at all. Um, but one or two of them might surprise themselves and what, oh, that's the conclusion. Yeah, there's, there's a strong inference rather than pointing, but yeah, <laughs> that could be interesting to see what happens, but that's all for debate, right? So cool. There's a couple of scientists in the book, you know, for me, it would be, uh, probably, uh, Bernardo Kastreff and Donald Hoffman who are really quite clear and would come down to idealism side. Um, whereas the other scientists, you have to, you have to look quite hard to see that they don't actually, because they sound like they are. Um, but no, that's, that's lovely. Cause I think that means everything's pointing to the same place. Um, and that's, um, really interesting. Here's a question then just to give people just a little bit of a taste into the content. We've mentioned a couple of times that the six illusion that make up the big illusion, J just give, if you can, like, I don't know, 10 seconds on each of the illusions. And then I've got a couple of questions I might ask about them. The most, ex they go by from most accessible to, to more abstract. Yeah. Uh, on purpose, obviously. Um, and the first one is the illusion of, of the narrative self. And this is most people, actually many people have heard of this by now. Mm. So we have beliefs, we, we accumulate beliefs, we accumulate a story about ourselves and how the world works. And this is conditioning. This is programmed societal stuff. Um, we learned this and we could have learned something totally different in a different culture at a different time. And we would have been a completely different person. Yeah. So this is a story we make up about ourselves, the book, but the book, um, does say some things that are pretty shocking, such as w the brain literally makes this stuff up. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe we believe 70% of that is true or some such number, but it's actually more like 0%. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that, you know, people still follow and they're like, okay, this is going nicely. Yeah, I can, I can get that. Then we come to the body, the illusion of corporeality. So the illusion that I exist in a body or that the body is real here, it gets already, you know, it gets a bit tricky. Um, but if you're open to that, it's actually quite easy to see that the body is also a mental construct because it is the sensations and the perceptions that we call a body come and go. Right? Not there in deep sleep, not there in states of flow. So there's some indicators that plus we have to create it in the in the baby, right? The baby has to learn this is my body and, and mm -hmm. this is it and etc. So there there's some stuff in there that okay, I'm not the body. Okay, cool. Then we get to the really, really tough one. <laughs> and I'm assuming I'm gonna lose a lot of readers at this point, but hey, that's the illusion of volition. Mm -hmm. And this is where most people get hung up because it is literally about free will, although free will has lots of different connotations. So again, we have to be clear about what it is that we're talking about. And what the illusion is about is the illusion that we choose freely, uncaused. So we are somehow, we create this little bubble as humans around ourselves, and we are apart from the rest of nature, the rest of nature functions under causal laws, but we can at some point kind of extract ourselves and make a free decision. Yeah. Another illusion. 
if you're then still with me. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. <laughs> we have the illusion of um, the sense of I, which is really just the feeling that I am a separate self because I have this feeling. So it's, it's kind of the ultimate tautology. You know, it's like, I believe I'm a self because my thoughts, my perceptions and my feelings say so. <laughs> but again, this is something we've had to learn. And there are actually many people, um, dementia or other psychiatric you know, diseases. There is no self. There's no sense of I. Um, so again, there's some, there's a lot of indicators and, and some good science to point to the fact that this is another illusion. It's a, it's a feeling. It feels that way. It seems that way, but that does not make the thing real. Right. Then there's the illusion of duality, yeah. which is the feeling again, we seem to, and, and, and the, um, illusion that our senses create that I am in here in my body and the world is out there. And there is a distance between those two things. So I experience the glass on my desk as an object outside myself. And again, that is a perceptual illusion that is created by our senses and our beliefs. It's not an actual fact. So we've then come to the point that there is no body, there is no story, there is no yeah. volition, there is no real sense of I. So the whole thing, and there is no separate world out there. Mm -hmm. And then the ultimate, you know, cornerstone of the whole thing is the illusion of primacy, that I am the ultimate subject. So there is something experiencing the world. That's not an illusion. That is true. There's something that experiences the world. The illusion is that this is a separate self. Yeah. And as we, you know, go into in, in, in the direct experiential exercises, what is actually experiencing is unlimited, eternal, unconditioned awareness. So big difference. If you believe that the experiencer, the witness, the observer is a separate self or even a higher self, right? Or the true self or whatever self you want to <laughs> name, you want to give it. Mm. It's all the assumption that this is separate and unique and distinct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got those six and I, and as listeners were, were listening to those, as, as we hinted, you know, there's some that are going to make more sense in others and something like oh, either I don't understand that at all or I did understand that I don't like what it says or disagree I mean you know my, my personal view is I don't know whether that's the order of the six I put them in as 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 the heart easiest to hardest but that doesn't really matter um I, I think number six is kind of like a conclusion I think if you've got one to five you're bound to end up at six and possibly number four is unnecessary but um it could, it could be a conclusion but I think I love the way you pulled it apart because I think it's so great because there's so much nuance in each one um, to see and to, to compare with what we so innocently just assume. Um, well, of course I'm on my body, you know, of course I am. I know I, I kind of end here, surely. I end at the end of my fingers and the top of my head and we're saying no. And actually you can't feel my body technically you only perceive your body you don't even feel it because 
you, you have sensation, but to say that's coming from the body is only when you look down and go, oh, it must be coming from here because it's near me and I've been told my tummy hurts. So that so the, you can start to see and do it to experience quite quickly. Oh, wow. I think number five, I think, is a is a toughie for people, the illusion of duality. So, you know, we've been, you know, there's a tree over there. I walk towards the tree. I'm here. The tree's over there. There's a gap in between me and if I walk nearer the tree, then I'm in proximity closer to the tree. The idea that we are the same field, me and the tree, can be quite difficult to see. Except when in depth experience, we have that lovely moment of oneness. We might even write songs about it when we dissolve into the sunset or love the other person. It doesn't feel like there's two of us you know, in a crowd of a hundred people and it just feels like one. So we can have a, a nice experience of non-duality or, or not to, but to go, that's how it actually is. Whew, that's quite <laughs> powerful, isn't it? So w w when you were writing this, um, you, you've given us a sort of clue of going from the most sort of accessible to the most profound, yet you also said you think the one that people struggle with is the free will volition one. Um, just say a bit more about what, when you were trying to set up the six parts of the puzzle, what you were trying to do, where you found the common stumbling blocks and people you've worked with and what you tried to say about those, those six. Yeah, well, it's actually this book emerged through the authors that I found, the scientists, the experts talking about this. So that's why this one also doesn't have the experiential exercises. No. So it's really what did people say about this? And that's also why, for example, um, the sense of I is a separate illusion because it is something that many Buddhist scholars have written about. And um, to go back to the one on volition, that's something, there's this whole debate about free will. Does yeah. it exist or not? So there's a lot of material. And I try to um, take, well, I mean, I didn't do a PhD on this, right? So I didn't research 500 authors on free will, but there are a few, and then especially in this context of, of the neuroscience bit, that it became really interesting that even though it's so counterintuitive, even for the people who haven't done any of the experiential exercises, just the science, right? Mm. Just for, for example, the fact that most of our, what's happening, the processes in the body, including the neural processes are unconscious. And at a certain point, like an island of consciousness, something emerges out of the unconscious. And suddenly I experience free will because I'm conscious of what is going on. So the thoughts and the decisions suddenly become conscious and it's like, boom, well, now I'm deciding freely. But five milliseconds ago, when it was still unconscious, I didn't know about this. Yeah. And, and these types of bits of information, right? Oh no. Okay. So the whole thing is actually being caused, but suddenly become, when it becomes conscious, I have the feeling of choosing freely, deciding freely. And now I suddenly have free will when five milliseconds ago, I didn't. Um, this is the type of information that even the most, you know, skeptical, even the people who feel, oh, this is strange, I can't go there, or who don't want to do the experiential exercises mm, yet. That's true. Mm. They can really, I hope it blows their minds because it blew mine, even though I already know this. <laughs>
Yeah. So the bit that blew your mind is even if from a direct experience, you kind of knew the appearance of choice only emerged sometimes in this island coming out of the sea. Um, the fact that the science is backing that up, if, if you can use that word, or evidencing that um, is is lovely, you know, isn't it? And it's not it's not a serendipity that is is obviously the case because that's what's going on. Um, so for people that don't even want to go there direct experience wise, they can see that from the facts or the, the yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, all of these things are lovely, aren't they? Because once you, <laughs> this might be helpful or unhelpful for people listening. Once you see them, you start, oh, of course it's those, but before you see it, you don't see it. It's like one of those magic eye pictures. So when you start thinking about it, you know, in, in the last five minutes, there's tiny little micro movements and decisions and behaviors that, you know, you and I have been doing while we're chatting away and eight other billion people on the planet have been doing the same. And I've been aware of what 5% of them, probably not even that 1% of them. And it might appear to me, I had a choice in whether to wave my hand now, whether to say hello or goodbye or whatever, but most of the things I had nothing to do with. So, so why do I base my idea of having free will on the kind of 0.5% starts to seem like a silly way of thinking about life. Whereas before we read that, we were like, oh, yeah, of course I have complete free will. So that process, when we say blowing minds, you know, what we're really referring to is you'll see some, you'll see, you'll start to see things differently and wonder why you didn't see it before. Yes, ideally. And, and some of these things are, they're described in, in quite complicated metaphors. And, and I mean, these authors have, have serious research behind this and whole books, right? So one, one example is Thomas Metzinger, who's a philosopher of uh, neuroscience, uh, cognitive science, philosophy of cognitive science. I think it's uh, the official um, title. And he wrote a whole book about the ego tunnel, um, which is the simulation of the separate self in a, what he calls a tunnel that um, is transparent to us. So we do not know we're in this tunnel. And the only really uh, reason it exists is to help us survive. Mm. But that is what creates, so, so everything that happens within the tunnel is part of our self model, becomes part of our self model, and we believe it's us. But the whole thing is a simulation. Yeah. It's, you know, metaphorically, it's like, you know, do we realize that what we see in our social media feed is the echo chamber and it's just playing back to us what we kind of see already. But we, if we think, oh no, that's the world I'm seeing, then we'd be very much mistaken. And we go, oh no, there's algorithm. So, so the book has the potential to give people, you use the phrase mind blown insights. I know you set the book up as an exploring it's not to tell you, here's a new fact for you to contemplate. It's explore this and that may well trigger your own, aha, wow, which will then probably trigger a bit more curiosity and then off you go. Now, given society nowadays loves a gist or loves just to dip into it, I'm going to ask you a question you probably don't like answering or, or you know, favorite child. Um, if someone was only to read one chapter or one part of the book, where would you point them? I would tell them to read the part on um, Bernardo Castro's work. Mm -hmm. And if you can include a couple, a second chapter, then the, then the stuff on Donald Hoffman. Yeah. 
because those two to get taken together really just completely overturn our our paradigm and they do it rationally succinctly um with with great metaphors and analogies that just make sense yeah and and i mean i you know they're they're my two go-to guys and then when people are ready a bit of for a bit of evoking and a bit more spiritual rupert sparrow chimes in afterwards he's not a scientist by the way he's he's a he's a non-dual direct path teacher but you put those three together and it's just like bang there's nowhere to go um it's complete um so that's where you would point people if there was if anyone wanted a little gist or, or to dip their foot in yes and even you know not in the book but just watching a couple of uh Kastrup's videos or uh donald hoffman's ted talk mm. um some of these things are really they're so fundamental in in shifting um, the paradigm yeah. for some that may even be enough. <laughs> yes. So we can keep this in, in the gist format that some people might want. Just say in 20 seconds who you think this book is for. The book is for those who have this intuition or this deeper interest in, okay, I know that maybe this this feeling and this convincing idea that I am a separate self in a universe of 8 billion other selves, that that may be an illusion or untrue, right? So we're not saying that um, the experience is wrong or that you're an idiot because you see it this way. We all see it this way. We all experience life as though we are separate selves. But for those who are interested in finding out that maybe their their intuition, following their intuition. Hmm. And who would you say it's not for? It's not for people who are interested in direct path experience. So if you are, you know, if you want to find out for yourself and you want the practices, that's the last chapter, but that's just an appetizer. Mm. And you're better off with, with books by Rupert Spira or. Although I would say that if you have liked that experience, this book will absolutely validate your direct experience findings and you'll be able to go oh wow so i know i thought it was like that but oh yes here's the science back it up so um it won't give you that but it will make them look even even cooler (laughs) yes as a footnote to that for people who are who teach this or who talk about this Mm -hmm. or clients in this area this book helps with the rational arguments so sometimes you know a client goes well what do you mean i'm not the body well, here's some explanation that can help. Yeah. And, so and it's, it's such a great summary of that. And, and it, I sort of hinted at the beginning, it's the book that I'm too lazy or talented to have written myself. So I appreciate you doing that. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> in the work I do, the group programs, we show people videos of Bernardo and Donald Hoffman and, you know, uh, but now you've got it all neatly in one place. So I think for people either who, don't want to do the direct inquiry, but want to, who have an intuitive sense, this helps. People who have done the inquiry and maybe want a little bit more ground to stand on, um, this will give it to them. And what are you, a uh, question that obviously you're going to make up an answer to as if you haven't the rest of them. What are you hoping this book might achieve, would achieve? Well, really not that much. Um, <laughs> just for those who are interested that it opens their minds or their minds are already open, hopefully, but that it, it really pushes them over the edge to this direct inquiry. So now I know that's how it worked for me. That's how it mm. worked for me. You know, oh, 
I'm hearing this for the first time, or maybe the second or the 10th time, but I'm hearing and I'm seeing, and I'm now convinced and hearing the arguments, there is no separate self. There is only oneness. There's only eternal, infinite consciousness. What does that mean for me right now? I want to know now I want to experience. So it's maybe the doorway, hopefully to a lot more people discovering this indirect experience. And then ultimately, hopefully, um, my idealist part would say, uh, a mm. better society and experience on this planet. <laughs> and I'm kind of hoping in, in a lovely way that this book becomes outdated quite soon. Mm. Um, and you have to write version two as this more and more scientists, more and more evidence, um, points to what you're pointing to. And, and this bit will still be relevant because it will sort of show the evolution for history historians over the years. And it could be, you know, quite soon, although science takes its time sometimes. <laughs> Come on, scientists, hurry up. Um, but, but there'll be even more. I mean, I remember looking around for evidence to support this stuff five, ten years ago, and there seemed to be a lot less. It is growing really quite quickly, isn't it, um, on that side? So hopefully, in a lovely way, you'll get to write a new version soon. Yeah, that would be great because I hope the same. And at the same time, this includes Buddhist scholarship and, and other stuff. You know, we've been saying this for centuries. It's been known for centuries. And um, there have been many idealists over the, over the course of the centuries. I mean, many, many, including, you know, not Einstein didn't go that far, but many scientists as well who came to the conclusion, well, the, you know, the materialist standpoint doesn't work, doesn't make sense. But they've usually been quietly forgotten <laughs> for those weird, those spiritual, um, yeah, um, standpoints. So we'll see if it's different this time. I hope so. So, so Catherine, is there any final words you want to offer, uh, on this book launch day, anything else you want to say that you think might be relevant to our conversation? I know about all things that are produced, you know, 30% loves them. 30% hates them. 30% doesn't care. <laughs> so I hope this finds those who love it because that's who the book is for. And that's the only thing you can hope when you create something like this, that it finds the people who need to read it. Yeah. And actually listeners, there's a role that we can all play in that in, um, sharing, uh, if, if people have a great experience of this book, which I think is highly likely if you are regular to the quality of mind podcast, you will. And hopefully if you're new as well, uh, share it because this is not a mainstream pointing yet at all. Um, it is growing. It looks to me. Um, and with more and more that will happen when great books like this come onto the market. So please do point it to people. Hopefully this allows people to share something without, cause I know in the past when I've had clients who want to tell people, they go, oh yeah, but they might think I'm a bit, you know, a bit on the fringe or a bit woo woo. This book is not woo woo or fringe. I mean, it might be fringe, but it's definitely not woo woo. It's not esoteric. Um, it, it really does. It's very accessible, um, to the logical mind. So please, please share it. Um, I'm incredibly grateful that, that, uh, Catherine, that uh, you as a part of the uh, ecosystem exists and have written this. Um, it saves me writing it and you've done it way better than I ever could because you write so nicely. Um, and it's not even your sort of native language, which is even more annoying. Well, it's one of them, I suppose. You've, you can get profundity and simplicity and succinctness really nicely done. You've made it relevant. 
it's digestible it's not overwhelming it's not going to take people months to read i mean it's what 108 pages no 123 123 <laughs> i don't know why i did the last 15 i mean yeah so it's, it's not like it's a huge book either um no. and people can take their time with it or read it all in one go um and i would say read it at least three times before you even think about evaluating it that would be my top tip. So, Catherine, thanks for coming on on your um, book day. And um, I know you'll be open for anyone to reach out, um, as you always are. And I'll put all the details in the, in the show notes as well. So thank you and best of luck for uh, the book. Thank you. Thank you for your support. <laughs> More than welcome. Cool. <laughs> really cool. Listeners, um, have fun being curious. Catch you next time. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to know more, check out our website at qualityofmind.biz and also feel free to reach out and leave us a review or a comment. Until next time, have fun being curious.